Welcome back to another episode of the Hitchcock Minute. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1959 Alfred Hitchcock-directed thriller North by Northwest, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm your host, Travis Bowe, from Watchmen Minute. And I'm your other host, uh, Eric Nash, from also Watchmen Minute. And I'm Dave Forsyth. I'm from, uh, let's say, Edge of Tomorrow Minute. <laughs> let's say. Glad to have you, Dave. Good to be here. And, uh... Good to be here for me and Eric as well. This is our first uh, yeah. first episode of our, I guess, guest uh, section of the of the movie. So we have no idea how it's been handled up till now. So you know, buckle up, folks. You're you're with us now. <laughs> That's the fun of these projects. You really have no idea what anyone else has talked about or yeah. how they've talked about it. So, in fact, uh. My my cousin slash co-host and I are are on minutes uh, sixty one oh. through seventy. So, yeah. just a few minutes before that. Well, yeah. So this is minute eighty one, which starts with Roger telling Eve she is his little helper, and ends with Eve on the phone asking for an address. Um, I kind of thought it might be, I mean, at least for like for me and Eric, it might be, and certainly for Dave, like. What is everyone's history with North by Northwest? Like maybe start out with that since, you know, that way we don't end with that. And, you know, it's like, oh, it all makes sense now. Yeah. (laughs) These people talk. We're talking this way about uh, this movie. Uh, But yeah, I'd be curious to know. If you'd like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, I'm pretty sure I saw it like once, you know, my dad sat me down and I was probably about 12 or so and said, hey, this is. This is pretty good Hitchcock, one of one of Hitchcock's best, and uh, you know I, I think you know his his mind was you know he, he really liked likes the movies that uh, you really have to think think a good bit about you know that are interesting and in, in how they move forward throughout the movie and some good little twists and so forth and uh, um, so I saw it that once and and uh, definitely every few years would just uh, end up. Uh, catching it at the right time just on on tv on tcm probably and things like that you know so i've seen it a few times now over the years and, and actually most recently on the big screen it was on the big screen just uh, within this past year or so i think nice um and you know that's you know it's it's just uh really interesting like i say and it, it just has these these elements to it that you know it's like what's going on here this is okay wait this isn't making sense but it's really intriguing (laughs) dave how about you yeah i think uh i i didn't see this movie until college maybe um went through sort of a a time in my life where i was stuck in the middle of iowa and i was um renting or buying a lot of movies and we had a great uh rental store near campus that had uh, laser discs for that you could rent, and I had a laser disc player and all that stuff. So um, I remembered seeing the the airplane scene, yeah. or at least stills from it. So it's a very you know very famous scene, um, which was actually just just right before this minute. Mm-hmm. I think that scene was. Um, and uh, for some reason, I thought that was in Vertigo. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, let me watch that movie with the airplane. <laughs> so I rented Vertigo and watched it, and I was like. Where, where was that darn airplane? Um, in fact, where was Cary Grant? Wait, what's going on here? And so I did a little more research into it and found out it was North by Northwest and then rented that a few days later. So, um, so yeah, I was sort of a latecomer to it. I remember watching 
the Alfred Hitchcock Presents show on television in, in reruns, obviously, when I was a kid, um, which, you know, sort of like a slightly goofier Twilight Zone to me in my head. Yeah. Uh, so I always had sort of a, I don't know, an opinion about Hitchcock that I that wasn't necessarily from his movies. And uh, so, yeah, I sort of binged several of them when I had access to this really good video store. And... Um, yeah, I guess I've I've been a fan for, you know, since then. So I've really come to appreciate a lot of his movies. Um, and uh, I don't know. This one never really struck a chord with me. Um, maybe because it's kind of, it seems kind of absurd in a lot of places. Mm. In a lot of places. <laughs> and uh, um, I, I think I was more in tune with the horror aspect of Hitchcock stuff. Sure. More like Bird, the birds and in uh psycho yeah. and things like that so um so this one was never a huge one of my favorites but i still rewatching it for this project i definitely um appreciate it and you know digging into it minute by minute certainly helps you you um see some of the mastery at, at work here sure so. um so i i'm definitely the um i guess the the newest to this movie out of uh the two of you i i Watching it for this was the first time I had ever seen this movie. Um, and it's it's one of those that I knew about the airplane sequence, of course. You know, everyone knows that image of him running down the kind of the field and being chased by the plane. Um, and, you know, so I knew that was from this movie, but I didn't know what the movie was about. So I had no context for why this guy in a suit was being chased by a plane in the middle of nowhere. You know, I didn't know the, you know, even the, the summary of, of, you know, this guy is uh, dealing with a case of mistaken identity and is on the run. Like, I didn't even know that. I just knew that there was a scene with a plane chasing a guy. Um, so going into it for this was really exciting because... I still, I never did any, like, like before watching it, I decided not to, you know, I didn't want to find out too much about the movie. I just wanted to go into it fresh since I already basically was completely fresh. Um, so watching it, I was like the suspense of the movie really worked for me going through it, you know, the entire, entire movie. So it was really fun to sit and watch and, uh, not know what was going to happen next. I mean, you know, some things I could I kind of guessed towards the end, like what was going to happen, but you know the first I don't know two hours of the movie were really suspenseful and really uh, really nice. So I, I ended up really enjoying this movie. So cool. I'm really glad that I got to watch it, you know, and had a reason to watch it. So I mean, not that I not that I didn't have a reason to before. I just never. It's one of those you know movie blind spots that we all have of things we haven't seen. So. So let me ask you guys this as a team that was assigned random minutes just after the, one of the most famous scenes in American cinema, do you feel sort of the same resentment that we, who were doing the minutes just before <laughs> one of the most famous scenes in American cinema felt, you know, just a little, a little jealous of the people who got the airplane scene. I'm okay that we didn't get those minutes because I, I mean, I wouldn't want to take those from someone who had like real genuine things to say about, um, you know, that sure. iconic yeah. scene. So I'm okay with talking about it kind of just after the fact and 
And and to be fair, these minutes are pretty do have yeah, a pretty tense yeah. cat and mouse game going on in them as well. So it, sure. it's got a lot to appreciate here. So well, well, looking at this this first minute and this first first few seconds of this minute from a say if we were only watching this and not <laughs> the rest not knowing about anything mm. about the rest of the movie, I might almost be thinking that she's bringing him a drink with like a poison or something like that. Yeah. This is my first note. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. There is a lot of slyness going on here or like each of them thinking they're being sly, but um, you know, it's sort of that weird tension where Thornhill knows something is going on and that she's involved, but doesn't know all the details. And she knows he's still alive so <laughs> so she suspects he knows something or is you know yeah less bumbling maybe than she she had previously thought and so they're, they neither of them really knows what each other knows you know it, and, and it's uh but it's, yet it's, they that, both know that the other knows something <laughs> yeah yeah um, something right yeah it was interesting like I think because this minute and really this this whole week spoilers is going to take place in this hotel room. I think maybe in in the fifth episode, I think we might leave the uh, the hotel or at least this room. Um, but just seeing this room that we're in, this hotel room, mm-hmm. it really reminded me of uh, some of the earlier James Bond movies, mm-hmm. um, especially Doctor No and From Russia with Love. And I mean, that just also because you have Cary Grant, who kind of he could be a replacement for Sean Connery in those those early movies. Um, but I have a lot more history with those. And so um, watching this and, and just the the time, you know, the this it's basically the 60s, you know, shot in or set in 59. Like it, it kind of still has that 60s feel that those early oh, yeah. movies did. And it precedes Dr. No by like three years. Um, but it was interesting watching this the whole time and it kind of, like I said, has that feeling of a James Bond movie, especially from Russia with love. So I had a, a lot of that in my mind watching it and you know, he ends up kind of being a spy anyways throughout this movie. So, um, it really worked. It's interesting that you, you make that equation cause, um, there's a, there's a great book that Hitchcock and, um, Francois Truffaut uh, sat down in, uh, gosh, I don't remember what year, um, well after after North by Northwest. Yeah. And they, they had like eight days of conversation that were just the two of them talking films. Oh, wow. And um, Hitchcock talks about how he feels that especially 007 and, and those types of movies sort of pinched his style yeah. from mm. his thrillers like this. And it's, he sort of gave them up after, after I mean, this is really his last big budget American, you know, chase thriller condemned man kind of thing. Um, And he he felt that a lot of those movies sort of bastardized his style. So Mm -hmm. I can definitely see that point with uh, like the, with the two that I mentioned with Dr. No and from Russia with love, because there are sequences in this movie that just feel like they were, that were lifted. No, I guess, you know, North by Northwest comes first, but I saw it well after right but i can definitely see how those 007 movies took a lot of inspiration from this you know the 
I mean, there's not a fight scene on a train in this movie, but there's a lot of train stuff, you know, uh, a little before this. Um, there's certainly the end of uh, From Russia With Love involves a um, him running from a helicopter and very, you know, it feels a lot like this, um, what just came before, um, I guess, last week. And, yeah, I can, uh, I can see why Hitchcock would be a little bit... Uh, you know, annoyed by <laughs> by that maybe. Well, and 007 certainly had his share of conversations like this with a oh yeah, you know, with a yeah. pretty blonde lady where they both knew the other one knew something, but they didn't know exactly what. Yeah, you know, and and they they sort of have this very suave um, tête-à-tête over cocktails. Yeah, you know, so it's uh, yeah, it, it definitely has that that uh, that vibe running through it. So not not that you know, 007 as a concept didn't exist. Uh, before the films, sure. but to, you know, the, the drawing out of some of these very specific yeah. themes and images, yeah. it does. Yeah. Um, now, now you've been talking about, you both have been mentioned that, uh, that, that, uh, he, he knows, she knows something and so forth. Um, but you know, so the ex- exact lines here that really strike me most, that, that that's most head on with that concept is that when she says, I do have plans of my own, you know, and, d- and you do have problems. And he just counters it with, wouldn't it be nice if my problems and your plans were somehow connected? <laughs> that, yeah. Of course they are. That's a great line. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's it's so on the nose without, you know, they're both trying to be coy about it and, and be like, oh, wouldn't that be great? Ha ha. I don't know that they overlap <laughs> when clearly they all know that they overlap. So it's, it is, it is, the line itself is, is great because of the situation that, they, that they're both trying to maintain, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and, but then also though he's he's definitely the one who's throughout the movie is is you know even though he plays kind of coy quite a bit he often gets away from that turns it and really wants to well, what's what's really going on here he's you know, he feels so out of the loop yeah <laughs> and and he's really right. trying to understand why people keep uh, coming to him thinking he's someone else essentially <laughs> well and he I mean I think that shows his lack of professional swindling right mm-hmm. like he is mm-hmm. the the he's the well professional swindler he's the ad man yeah. right <laughs> so he is sort of a professional swindler but um not in the same way right so he, he he doesn't really understand what's going on in in the way that all these other schemers do and in fact here i think in this minute especially he he thinks he's being coy but he really is tipping his hand very heavily with his passive aggressive mm-hmm. language you know, if he were having a conversation with a normal lady he met on a train and he was just having a fling with, he might still be perceived as a little weird, but not schemy, right? But but the the fact that he's being so passive aggressive about what he's saying and, you know, that line he says was um, about, you know, togetherness <laughs> or whatever, whatever he says. That's, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's really, really um, letting her know that he's in a, <laughs> at least... He's in a foul mood and he knows that she's up to something and he doesn't want to let her out of his sight. Mm. So. I think one of my uh, favorite th- parts of this minute is, you know, so the, the phone rings and, you know, he says, well, go ahead. It can't be for me, which I wouldn't have been surprised if the phone had been for him, you know, just because of the way this whole thing's <laughs> yeah. been going. It feels sure. like I wouldn't be surprised if someone knew he was there, but. That's not what I loved about this minute. Um, 
there's a real subtle move that he makes when yeah. so he tells her to go get the phone and she's drink you know continues to drink her drink and i think the phone rings twice and she makes no she has absolutely zero reaction to the the ringing you know because she knows that there's someone on the other end um i think she knows who's calling she knows what it's going to be about because she's expecting a call for a time and a place that she needs to be somewhere so when the phone rings she knows who it is knows who yeah she knows who's it, who it is and she doesn't want to give up that information she doesn't want to answer the phone she's probably just going to let it keep ringing but he tells her to go ahead and answer it and then he without moving his feet his shoulders kind of turn towards the phone as if he's going to move you know closer to the to the phone and she sees him do that and you know it's like he's he's bluffing but she calls him or you know she I guess doesn't want to risk that he might go over and pick up the phone. So she goes ahead and answers it. And I, uh, I just love that little movement that he makes. Yeah. That whole sequence is full of some great little moves. Like when it first starts ringing, you talk about how neither of them really makes a reaction. Like as soon as the, the ring starts, they both sort of pause in, in the taking of the drink that they're, that, you know, they both have the glass kind of up to their lips and they kind of pause and, and, and look down just for a beat um, before he makes his line about how it can't be for him. Um, and yeah, that little feint he makes towards the phone, I think her her move in response to that, she totally bites it on his fake or, or can't risk yeah. that his fake might go through. But her move to, to the phone, she does like a full flourishy turn away from him and sort of almost boxes him out from the mm-hmm. phone, right? So to make sure that he can't get to it first. And she's slow and, and deliberate and sort of taking up space about it. And I think that's the whole, the whole sequence is, is pretty great with their, with their faces and with their body movements and without any, I mean, that line that is delivered in that sequence is, is, you know, not a particularly engaging line, but their, their emotions and their eyes and everything are, are what really drives yeah. that drives that. And then my next note there is that, you know, when she's talking, his 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 then his facial expressions his eyes are really mm-hmm. great they're kind of they're not really heavily darting but they're they're mildly darting they're they're just yeah. you know yeah. it's like he, he's definitely thinking it's showing that he's really thinking about what she's saying you know trying to put two and two together Get, getting one half of a conversation he's it's, dropping so many eaves you know. right there yeah. right yeah right exactly um, <laughs> I think it surprises me that he doesn't kind of join her going to the phone um, and do the move where you've got the the receiver kind of between both of your heads so you can both hear. Because I'm just... Well, that's what would happen on Friends. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, he he totally does make a... uh, So once she picks up the phone, he he moves and the camera kind of moves with him and around him a little bit. But he moves back behind the line of her peripheral sight oh, so she sure. won't be able to see him and then he, he he does turn his head in a little bit he, do, he doesn't get real close like you suggest and you know try and listen on the phone but it's clear yeah. he's paying attention so i mean it, it makes sense um kind of thinking about where this all goes in the next, next few minutes like why he's giving her so much leeway it makes sense um 
Like first time viewing, it was like, why wouldn't he be a little bit more aggressive about finding out all this information? But, you know, as we'll come to find out, like he wants her to lead him, you know, along the path. So he's got to let her answer the phone, get the, um, the address or whatever, like information she needs so that he can, you know, get that information later. So it's. And I I think he still thinks he has the upper hand here, right? Like true. He he still thinks he knows more. Well, not more than she does, but you know, he, he knows that she's involved, but he doesn't think that she knows that he knows that she's involved. Well, that sentence, just saying that sentence, like shows how sort of complicated this, this relationship is with no, I mean, there's nothing major going on here, but there's so much going on, you know? Yeah. My, uh, my fear, um, when when she went to answer the phone, like I was worried she was going to have some sort of secret code word, you know, of like some phrase that she would say to tip off whoever was calling that, you know, something that she's not alone or that she's been compromised or something to that effect. So that went went along with my surprise that he would let her answer the phone and and be on the phone by herself without him kind of being on also being there by her side. But yeah, uh, maybe that's another sign of his naivete in these matters yeah, of yeah. international intrigue, you know. So. Yeah. And and yeah, cuz he he it, it's easy to forget. He's not a professional spy. Like he doesn't have training. It's all just he you know, he's winging it everything he does. So Yeah, and I, I mean the the way she turns the conversation on the phone you know, whoever she's talking to, like we, we assume it's it's uh, Van Dam or James Mason or or Leonard, James Mason, is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, or it's either Van Dam or, or Leonard um, calling her. Um, but she, you know, she tells him that she's not ready, and then yeah. and then immediately says, "No, I'll I'll meet you." Right. So so it's um, she has she's very expertly and, and quickly put a contingency into into play. So. Um, that satisfies probably Thornhill a little. So he knows now that she's staying with him and tends to, and then the other person on the other line won't be waiting for her. So she now has, um, she has time to sort of figure out what she wants to do because, you know, we we definitely see it in the the minute or two before this, and you'll see it a little bit more in the minute or two after it's hard to see here, but she is still wrestling with her feelings for Thornhill. Right. Yeah. She well and something you know you you pointing out some of that stuff made me realize um I'm not sure if I'm right but she could be saving his life right here. Yeah. By saying yeah. no not yet I'm not ready. That could I'll, be telling I'll meet you. I I think it's yeah. I think she's probably talking to Leonard. Um I think that is her telling Leonard don't come to my room. Yeah. I will meet you. What's the address? So yeah, I think by doing that, she is is preventing them from coming to the the room here and seeing Roger. So I mean, if she had I, said, I, I, "I have a guest," I I can't come right now. That would have, you know, raised that the, wouldn't have. Yeah. I don't think that would fly since she is supposed to be, um, uh, what's uh, Van Dam's, you know, mistress. Someone calls her later. Yeah. So yeah. It, yeah, it it is kind of a slick little move on on her part, for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, it, feel, it feels like we're kind of winding down. We got to the end yeah. of the minute. So we're not going to talk about the tree in the room? I think we have to talk about the tree in oh, the room. Oh, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> and, and they kind of have to imagine maybe like the person that, the people that had the last minute or however, I forget how many minutes prior to this, maybe sure. they're in here, but. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice little mural of sort of a Sakura cherry blossom branch. Yeah. Coming yeah. out of the ceiling though, right? Like you don't see the whole tree. You just see the branch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are a few other Asian influences in the room. There's like a, I think later we'll see some, maybe like uh, Buddhist monks, like little statues of, yeah. on the dresser or something like that. So, well, do you guys know anything about this hotel, about the Ambassador East? Not, I just I I looked up the location yeah. of the real, you know, hotel yeah. on. Uh, the, I don't know if this is a if this room is. I, I imagine this room is probably a set on the MGM lot. Yeah, they could um, be. But the hotel itself, at least the the lobby that they filmed in, I think last week or week before, would have been the real hotel in uh, Chicago. Yeah, and I'm I'm from Chicago. Spent like forty oh, some yeah. years there, so <laughs> like I'm familiar with the Ambassador East, and um, it was sort of a, I mean, even when it was past its prime, as you know, it was never as swanky as as this era is again. But um, it was sort of famous for a restaurant in the in the lounge uh, called the Pump Room. Um, it was I very saw famous. the signs uh, for that when they did the establishing shots outside of the the hotel. I saw a pump room. Yeah, and it was um, sort of a swanky place that had a booth called Booth One that was reserved for um, for like A list celebrities. So like if Sinatra would come to town or Liz Taylor, they would get that booth, and it was famous because it had a um, a telephone right there in the, in the booth, which was <laughs> kind of a a cool thing at the time, I guess it wasn't, was, you know, before the era where they would bring a telephone over, it was just yeah. permanently there. And, you know, <laughs> other celebrities knew the number to, oh, wow. <laughs> to that booth. So <laughs> you'd sometimes get calls or take calls from there. And, um, you know, it was one of those scene and be seen kind of places. Yeah. Um, it was, I think it closed like the pump room went through a lot of iterations since then, but it was always still sort of a famous place. And, uh, I think it closed just a couple of years ago. Um, the hotel was named something else since like 2010 or something like that. And then was just, uh, renamed the ambassador again. Um, so it's, uh, but yeah, it's in the gold coast of Chicago, which is, you know, sort of the swankier part of town, a little bit North of the, the downtown area. So mm. right on Lake Michigan. It's at 1301 North state parkway. That Chicago, sounds about Illinois right. is 60610 yeah. for the, uh, North by Northwest walking tour. All right. That I'm sh- I'm sure everyone else has been uh, pointing out these locations in their minutes. Oh, I'm sure. We we talked pretty heavily about the LaSalle Street Station. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's I, I've been to the Pump Room. I've never stayed at the Ambassador, but uh, definitely have seen some comedians do shows at the Pump Room. It was a performance venue, nightclub kind of place. Last time I was there, it was never huh. a full-on restaurant, but. Well, very cool. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that'll probably do it for for minute eighty one. Unless anyone has anything else, I guess I, I do have one more question. The, sure. The size of the drinks that she pours for the two of them. Oh. <laughs> I mean, like a that would never happen in a hotel room now because you just get the mini airline bottles if there's anything. But like, I was looking at it and sort of thinking she poured a pretty strong, stiff uh, or, or a straight you know, brown drink of some sort, probably, mm-hmm. you know, whiskey or scotch or, or something. 
and um, it's a pretty tall glass. And I think that might have, I don't know if there's anything to read into that. Like, is that just how they drank back then? Or is she so stunned to see him <laughs> still alive? <laughs> She's like, uh, I think we both need a drink. Right. Yeah. yeah if but, I remember right, he does ask for a scotch uh, uh, with right. water, no ice. And yeah, it, it's, she pours so much scotch. Um, yeah, that was a bit surprising. And then a little splash of water to top it off. Anyway, just seemed yes. like a maybe a symbolic pour, like a reason mm. that it was poured that yeah. heavy. So. Well, all right, listeners, uh, you can find the Hitchcock Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, or or you can go to the main site hitchcockminute dot com. Um, the uh, the man on <laughs> is it the man on Washington's. Let me try that one more time. The man on Washington's nose on Facebook and on Twitter at uh, Hitchcock Minute are your locations in on the uh, social medias that you can interact with uh, the North by Northwest uh, Minute, I guess. Um, or I guess this Hitchcock Minute, sorry. And then uh, I think that's going to do it for us. We'll be back. We'll be joined by Dave uh, tomorrow as well. So, I'm I'm Travis. And I'm Eric. And I'm Dave. And uh, we ask the listeners join us here next time on the Hitchcock Minute. Goodbye, Mr. Thornhill. Wherever you are.